Hey there, welcome. This is Daniel M. from Beulah Alliance Church. As we open up the scriptures together, I hope this helps you know Jesus deeply and be known by him fully. Enjoy the message. Hey, can you believe that Christmas is only one month away? We put up our Christmas tree uh, last Sunday night, Christmas-fying our house, and we were listening to all the Christmas tunes while we were doing that, and, and one of my daughters found this epic mashup of uh, Mary Did You Know and Breath of Heaven. It was like, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again, and then it turned into breath of heaven, hold me together, be forever near me, breath of heaven. And then it transitioned into, uh, did you know, I can't sing that high. <laughs> but literally, it was like going, what? you thought it was good, and it was going another level, and then another level, and another level. I think I've listened to that song like on repeat over a dozen times now. Uh, and that's a little bit of a sneak peek into what's going to be happening next weekend. We're going to be starting our Advent series in Philippians, um, but that's next week. Today we're going to be finishing up our series on how knowing Jesus changes everything. So if you have your Bibles or if you have your phones or, or tablets, I'd love for you to take out and open up to Philippians chapter 3 in verse 18. We're going to be reading only two verses for today. But uh, we're going to be referencing a few of the verses before that. So after we read it, keep it open and we'll come back to it. Okay, so Philippians 3, verse 18 and 19. For I've often told you and now say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they are focused on earthly things. You know, one of the things that I love slash hate about walking verse by verse through a book of the Bible is that you can't skip anything. <laughs> like how awkward would it be if you're going like verse 14, 15, 16, and all of a sudden you're in verse 21. You're like, what happened to the other ones? Uh, I just chose not to preach it, right? Like it'd be super awkward, right? Um, so when you come across verses like these, you kind of scratch your head, right? You're like, what is going on here? Like, what is, what is the meaning of, like, why was this originally written, right? I mean, we gotta, that's the first question that we have to ask, right? Like, why was this written? And then we need to ask, what was the original intent of this being written? And then, uh, how does this apply to us today? Now, when we do that hard work in this passage specifically and kind of, um, you know, chip away all the rubble. You don't leave with the rubble, you leave with the diamonds. You leave with the, the, the gemstones that you found. So in these two verses, what are those? Right, like what does this passage about enemies of the cross of Christ have to do with knowing Jesus changing everything? Well, in order to answer that question, we need to look at the opposite side of enemies, which is friends. Uh, how many of you are still friends with your friends from childhood? Anyone here or at our campuses? Okay, so about half or so. Uh, one of my friends growing up, uh, his name was Tom, and we did everything together. We played road hockey together. We played trumpet together in band. In fact, one of the things that we would do is uh, there's that gross spit valve on a trumpet. Like, we would see who could disperse of more spit on the band room carpet floor. Like, it was carpet too, like I don't even, 
it's so unhygienic, so gross. Anyways, uh, we would do this together, and, and, and not only that, we would go to each other's homes, and our favorite thing to do, every single week, our favorite thing to do was on Friday morning, talk about Seinfeld. Because Seinfeld happened on Thursday night, and we'd always talk about Seinfeld and what went on and how the episode was. And, and if we had anticipated, like, oh, that's, that's all the fun stuff that we do. And then um, when I was growing up, like, this was before TELUS or Shaw, like, you had these, uh, these disks that would come in the mail uh, for the internet, like CompuServe, AOL, like that kind of, so we would, we would grab our CompuServe disk, uh, go on dial-up, go on the internet, like before social media or Google or anything like that, and you know, like designated CompuServe search engine, and then they had these chat rooms, and you could name, you could call yourself whatever you wanted in these chat rooms. So we would go, I can't, I can't believe we actually did this, but we, we would go and we would like call ourselves Jerry Seinfeld. Um, and then like George Costanza or Kramer. And we would sometimes do it where we would go and be like, oh, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, I'll see you guys later. I need to go look for my other friend. And we log out, log back in as George Costanza. And I was like, did anyone see where Jerry went? And we would do this whole shenanigan. People would actually believe that we were the people. Like, wait, is that identity fraud? Uh, anyways, anyways. But you know, the one thing, the one thing in all that, that I, like we were the best of friends, like got together and got, we were on the same page for everything, except this one thing. Like, I just couldn't understand out of all the things, like he was such a good guy. But for some reason, I couldn't understand how he could love the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like it was such a point of division for us. It's probably why we drifted over the years. Uh, okay, no, not really. But over the years, we did, in fact, drift away from each other. I, I, I can't really pinpoint why or when that happened, but over time, we went from being best friends to friends to acquaintances, and we just, we just went from connection to disconnection. Uh, can you think of any friendships like this for you, where you were at one point good friends, but not anymore? Now, I'm not talking about Facebook friends, right? I'm talking about deep friends, real friends, uh, friends that you would be together with and, and that you would, you know those friendships where you would give as much as you take? Like, you'd both have that posture of giving and, and you would listen as much as you talk. It wouldn't be one-sided. You'd care for each other. You'd be able to buy each other gifts, like real gifts, not gift cards, but real gifts because you knew what they would like. You had fun with each other, hanging out. There was trust, truthfulness. You didn't agree on everything, but you felt supported. You felt loved. You, you felt like you could just share whatever was on your mind. Have you ever experienced a deep friendship like that? You know, while it's unrealistic to expect all of your deep friendships to last forever, it's also unrealistic to expect friendship to just happen, right? Just because you want it to happen. Forming deep friendships in marriage and in life, requires intentionality. There's this research um, from Dr. John Gottman and his team, and it was fascinating. It was research around relationships. And what they found was based on 42 years of longitudinal data, that the heart of stability and happiness in a marriage relationship was friendship. It wasn't a lack of conflict. It wasn't necessarily just you know, having the same personality profile or ones that synced together. It was, it was actually friendship, happiness, 
and contentment and stability in that relationship was friendship. Friendship was the root and the foundation of commitment and trust. Take a look at what he says here. Happy marriages are based on deep friendship. By this I mean a mutual respect for and enjoyment of each other's company. These couples tend to know each other intimately. They are well versed in each other's likes, dislikes, personality quirks, hopes and dreams. They have an abiding regard for each other and express this fondness not just in the big ways, but through small gestures day in and day out. So in our passage for today, Paul is warning us about a group of people. And these, this group of people, they weren't friends or deep friends with Paul, but as we'll discover, they were actually the opposite. They were enemies of him. They were living in an opposite way to Paul. So uh, we read verse thir- uh, 18 and 19 of chapter three of Philippians, but if you just go back a few verses in verse 13, it's interesting because Paul's talking about um, this community that he has here with the Philippians, that they forget what is behind and reach forward to what is ahead. But for these enemies, they weren't forgetting what is behind. They were dwelling on what had happened in unforgiveness not placing their eyes on Jesus, but placing their eyes on all of that in the past. And so, so they weren't doing that and, and, and they weren't imitating him. They weren't living like Paul or, or living like Jesus, but they're actually living like the world. So we see in verse 18 and 19, Paul then says, for I've often told you and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ, right? He's saying that these non-friends, right, these enemies are enemies of the cross of Christ because their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame and they're focused on earthly things. So these enemies that Paul is talking about, who are they? Well, they can be one of many groups of people. Um, Upon further study, I discovered that these, Paul isn't talking about the Judaizers, uh, the, the group of Jewish Christians who uh, were advocating that you don't just, that to follow Jesus, it's not just about following Jesus, but you also have to follow the way of Moses. That's not who he's talking about, and he's not talking about the Philippian Christians either, because he'd call them friends, not enemies. And uh, neither is he talking about his personal enemies, right? Like, you know, people who, who, who stole from him, or, or let's say he was driving on the road and, and someone cut him off, right? Like, Wait, I don't know why I'm doing this. Uh, they didn't have cars back then. Uh, maybe, maybe it was more like this, right? Like he was like driving, I mean, imagine he's driving his carriage or he's on his horse and someone cuts him off and he's like, hey, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing that? Watch how to drive. Like, that's not who he's talking about. <clears throat> he's not talking about his quote unquote personal enemies because in verse 18, he says that he weeps over them. Well, you wouldn't weep over the person who cut you off, right? Like you, you get angry at them. So who is Paul talking about? Well, Paul's actually talking about his former friends. He's talking about his ex-friends. We know this because he's talking about people who used to follow Jesus with him. People he, who used to gather, who he used to gather, grow, give, and go together with, but who are no longer following the way of Jesus anymore. Like these are people who may actually still call themselves Christian, but they don't look anything like Jesus. That's who he's referring to in these two verses. These people weren't following the way of Jesus, they were following the way of 
Samantha, right, or, or, or John, Jacob, or Jingleheimer Schmidt, right? I mean, like, literally, they were following anyone or anything except Jesus. People who used to be his friends, and then people who then drifted off to being his enemies. Like, it's a bit harsh, right, to call them enemies? But you know what's, uh, sometimes this happens in marriages too, doesn't it? Like at one point you might have said till death to us part, but now you can't stand being in the same room with them. Uh, drifting sometimes happens. It also happens among neighbors or coworkers, friends, classmates, right? You're so close together and not anymore. And these friendships dissolve. Well, in the same way, um, this can happen between us and God. Our friendship with God can dissolve, can drift away. So in this passage, Paul is warning the Philippians about people who used to be friends of Jesus but are now enemies of the cross of Christ. Let's see how he describes them once again, verse 19. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, and they're focused on on earthly things. Now, in this verse, he's listing four things about them, but he's really only talking about two. He's saying that these people, their end is destruction, and number two, they are focused on earthly things. So let's, let me explain both. Let's start with the first point, um, that the first characteristic of an enemy of the cross of Christ is that their end is destruction. Now, if you've ever ran a race, uh, you know there are two things waiting for you at the end. Uh, the finish line, and a lot of high-calorie, greasy food. Like, I mean, you know this because if you've ever trained for a race, like, you, you got to watch your diet, uh, you have to do strict exercise, you're doing this not just for, like, days, it's weeks and months, depending on how long that race is, but, but man, the moment you finish that, yeah, the, moment, the moment you cross that finish line, it's like party time, right? Because, like, the, the amount of the amount of times I've heard people talk about these like big, juicy, greasy hamburgers that they want to go afterwards and eat, like it's just like that's the thing to do. It's like a post-race party because there's this feeling of relief, right? You're like, you're finally, your goal has been met, you're finally done, and now let's just eat as many calories as we can. Well, in the same way, Paul here is describing uh, the characteristics of enemies of the cross of Christ because he's talking about the end, that their end is destruction. I mean, you see this in verse 19, their end is destruction. Now, for enemies of the cross of Christ, uh, there isn't a post-race party at the end with high-calorie, greasy food, right? There, what, what, what he's saying here is that for enemies of the cross of Christ, their end isn't a party, but their end is destruction. He's not beating around the bush here. He's saying if you don't know Christ, he's clearly stating that if you don't know Christ, your end destiny is ruin and utter destruction in hell. And he just, he just clearly says, hey, so that's, that's one point, that's one thing that we just need to be aware of. But then in this passage, he goes on to the second characteristic, which is that they are focused on earthly things. Now, by earthly things, uh, Paul's referring to things that provide personal, personal gratification, fulfillment, satisfaction. Okay, so uh, what are some of those things for you? For me, it's Popeye's fried chicken. 
Like, oh, like seriously, I've talked, this is the third time I've preached this message. Like I, if I don't go and get a Popeye's fried chicken sandwich after this, like you just, there's, there's no justice in the world. Like there's, I love Popeye's fried chicken. Like they're crispy, spicy, crispy fried chicken sandwich. Just the perfect ratio of, of moistness of the chicken to the crispiness. Like, like honestly, and, and you know, I love Popeye's, but I don't even, it doesn't even have to be Popeye's. Like I could go for Southern fried chicken. I could go for Nashville fried chicken. I could go for Korean fried chicken. I literally don't care. Like I love fried chicken. It brings me joy. <laughs> it's funny to say, but I, I really do love it. And maybe, maybe that's not it for you, right? Maybe you're just, you're a little bit more high class and you're like, no, for me, fried chicken, no, it's for the masses. I want tuna tzatziki, right? Or I want uh, a medium rare steak with chimichurri sauce. Like that's my thing. Maybe it's not food, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe it's actually, uh, you get gratification or, or happiness or joy because people look at you. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. Or maybe it's not that, it's traveling. You just love traveling. Or, or perhaps it's that sense of security and stability. That's like, that's the thing that you want. I mean, whatever it might be for you, Paul is saying here that enemies of the cross of Christ are more focused on those things. They're more focused on the earthly things, on the temporary things than on eternal things. They're more focused on the present than on the eternal. And that's why he says that their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. These two are descriptions of being focused on earthly things. They're adjectives, they're descriptions of this. In other words, enemies of the cross of Christ are so, are so concerned with satisfying their stomachs that their bod and I'm not just talking about food, right? I'm talking about their bodily and temporally appetites. They're so focused on that and f chasing after whatever it is that'll satisfy that need for them that this has become their God. And in the day and age that we're living in today, I mean, there's an app for it, right? Like there's literally an app for everything. There's an app for hookups, there's an app for gambling, like probably way too many apps for gambling, right? Apps for social media, apps for gaming. I mean, there's an app to go get your Popeye's fried chicken, right? Like food delivery apps. And then there's an app specifically only for fried chicken. Don't ask me how I know that though. Uh, <laughs> but Paul's saying here that enemies of the cross of Christ are more concerned with, with this satisfaction, this satisfaction, the temporary than on eternal ones. And then Paul says, for him, that's a matter of shame. Now remember, these enemies of the cross of Christ that Paul's talking about, they used to be his friends, right? They used to be not only his friends, but friends of Jesus. But at some point along the journey, they drifted away from Christ. So when you think about your relationship with Jesus, have you drifted away from him in any way? Would he consider you to be his friend? Or when you think about Jesus, do you see him as a friend? And when the people around you look at your life, would they, would they call you a friend of Jesus? And, and would your life cause them to be interested in Jesus? Would, like, would they even know that you're a friend of Jesus? Now, I don't want to skip over these questions. These are really important questions for us to reflect on. So I want us to just pause and take a moment to reflect on this. 
we're gonna sing a song, have a song be played over us. And we're gonna, do, we're gonna pray a prayer first, and then we're gonna do that at all of our campuses. And I want us, as we do that, uh, I want us to really reflect during this song and during this prayer um, how our friendship with Jesus is. What does that look like? Okay, so let's pray this prayer together. Um, search me, let's, let's pray this together. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Amen.
you know, I'm so grateful for the love and the forgiveness of Jesus, right? No matter where your friendship might be, uh, that he says, come as you are. Right? He doesn't dwell on the past, but he says, hey, just come as you are. And when we come to him in confession and repentance, regardless of how we've been living, he says, come, follow me, you're forgiven. Well, earlier in the message, um, you might remember how I shared research from Dr. John Gottman, uh, that the heart of stability and happiness in a marriage relationship is friendship. That's not a lack of conflict or temperament or anything like that, but it's actually friendship. Well, I shared that because in Ephesians 5, God tells us that our relationship with him is supposed to be that of Jesus and the church. That the marriage relationship between Jesus and the church is what our relationship is to look like with him. So if the heart of stability and happiness in a marriage is deep friendship, right? Then what if that's also true of our relationship with Jesus? Or instead of viewing our relationship with Jesus as that of a master and a servant, what if we viewed our relationship with Jesus as that of a friend? How do you think that would change things for you? I mean, just think about this, right? If our relationship with Jesus was really friendship, and that was the source of stability and happiness in that relationship, then, then perhaps knowing Jesus would mean friendship with Jesus. And if knowing Jesus is friendship with Jesus, and following Jesus then means that it's all about cultivating a friendship with him. And this friendship changes everything. I mean, that's why Jesus says, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you, what? Friends. I've called you friends. Because I've made known to you everything I've heard from my father. So are you friends with Jesus? I mean, when you think about your relationship with him, if you're friends, what kind of friends are you with him? Are you acquaintances? Are you casual friends, friends, or, or, or deep friends? What does that relationship look like? Well, a few years ago, there was a study done that discovered the amount of time it took to develop and grow a friendship. A study found that it took 40 to 60 hours to develop a casual friendship, 60 to 80 hours to, to develop a friendship, and then more than 200 hours to being deep friends. So using that framework, how would you categorize your friendship with Jesus? Would you say that you're casual friends with him? 40 to 60 hours? Or would you say that you're friends with him? 80 to 100? Or, or would you say that you're deep friends with Jesus because you've spent more than 200 hours praying, reading the Bible? Worshiping. You know, friendship is an interesting thing because friendship doesn't happen just by saying, hey, you know what? Like, we really get together. Like, we're, we're, we have so much in common. Like, let's be best friends. And I was like, yeah, let's be best friends. Okay, awesome. I'll see you next year. 
right? I mean, like, <laughs> like, that's not how friendship works, right? The only way that you can grow a friendship is by spending actual time with each other. Now, the beautiful thing is, regardless of how much time you've spent with Jesus and what your friendship might look like, we can today choose to grow deeper with him, right? Like, that's a choice that all of us can make. So I wanna leave you today with two ways, starting today, that you can grow your friendship with Jesus. Two simple ways, one is through prayer, prayer and scripture, and the other way is through playing, playing and the Sabbath. So let's start with the first way, by talking about praying and scripture. Now in the research, um, one of the things that the research found about cultivating friendship is that friends are attentive to each other. Friends are interested in each other. And I'm not talking about just knowing stuff about the other person. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about like you are so interested in the other person, you're so attentive to them that, that you know what they don't like as much as what they do like. Where you can tell their stories Right, not just what happened or what happened. You can tell their stories probably better than they can tell their stories because you were there or you've heard it so many times. <laughs> right, like so if a characteristic of friendship, deep friendship is interest in each other, I mean, what does it look like for us to be interested in Jesus? Well, the way we do that, the way that we can be attentive to him is by praying, reading the scriptures and praying the scriptures. Because when we pray, we're talking to Jesus. When we read the scriptures, Jesus is talking to us, one of the ways. And when we pray the scriptures, we're learning how to talk like Jesus. So when we pray, we're talking to Jesus, right? When we read the scriptures, we're, this is Jesus, one of the ways that he's talking to us. And then when we, when we pray the scriptures, we're learning how to pray. We're learning how to talk like Jesus and talk to him. So the beautiful thing is there's not one specific way to do all that, right? Which is good news because that means there's not one perfect way to do it either. The important thing is that we're just spending time with Jesus. We're cultivating time with him. So for me, that looks different. It's looked different in all the different seasons of my life. Today, right now, what that looks like is I wake up and I, and I go to my Bible reading plan. I have a Bible, and I've done lots of different Bible reading plans over the year, years. Um, some of them have been like Bible in a year. Others have been Bible in 90 days. And the one I'm going through now, it's not called the slowest Bible reading plan ever, but it kind of is. Like I'm, it's, I'm like four years into it and I've just finally started in Galatians in the New Testament. But what I like about this, it's been so different than all the other ones because like I'm reading either half a chapter or a chapter of whatever the, the next chapter is in the, in the Bible. And then it points me to different passages in the scripture all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament that relate to that passage. And it might be a verse, it might be five verses or whatever. And for me, when I, when I am spending time with Jesus in the word, sometimes that might look like five minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or, or even longer. But whatever that looks like for me, I'm not doing it to get something out. I'm just, I'm just, and I'm not doing it just to check the box off. Like I'm doing it to just spend time with him. And sometimes when my day's really busy and I have a lot of stuff going on in my mind, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but I pray and then I, and I find I'm thinking, I'm like literally a few words into my prayer and I'm thinking about something completely different. 
or I'm like praying the same thing over and over and over again. Like when that happens for me, I'm like, okay, this is, this is futile. I'm just gonna take my journal out and I just write my prayers down. Because I find that when I write, it slows my brain down, it helps me focus. And the prayer time actually looks quite different than when I'm just praying from the scriptures or out of the scriptures or whatever that might look like. So that, it looks different for me all the time. But the important thing is not to do it one specific way. The point is just to spend time with Jesus, right? Because that's how we cultivate a friendship with him. You know, Jesus is always attentive to us, right? We're not always attentive to him. So this is one of the ways that we can be through prayer and the scriptures. Well, the second way that we can cultivate a deeper friendship with Jesus is through playing and the Sabbath. Now, one of the things that the research uh, found was that deep friendships, another two characteristics of deep friendships is mutual respect and enjoyment of one another. So when we obey the Sabbath as a commandment and as a sacred practice that God has given us, what we're doing is we're showing respect to him because he's given this to us. But the other thing that's happening is when we do what God has blessed and called us to do on the Sabbath, Oh, we're actually enjoying him. We're playing. Now, let me explain since we need to understand Sabbath biblically, not culturally. Uh, Growing up for me, Sabbath was a day where, you know, you couldn't shop, you couldn't wear shorts, you couldn't wear sandals, you couldn't do anything fun, right? It was just like this, no, it was a day of no's, not yeses. And that's a little bit of a cultural way of looking at it. But when you read the scriptures and when you look at the word Sabbath, like what that actually means, that's not what it means. Sabbath is not a day off. Take a look at how Eugene Peterson describes this. Sabbath means quit, stop, take a break, cool it. I love it, cool it. Uh, The word itself has nothing devout or holy in it. It's a word about time denoting our non-use of it, what we usually call wasting time. So that's what Sabbath means. When we open up the scriptures, there are two dominant reasons why we are called to practice the Sabbath. The first one's in Exodus 20, and we see in verse eight of Exodus 20 that the reason, the first reason we are called to practice the Sabbath is because God modeled it for us. So take a look at verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work, you, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. So why did God rest on the seventh day? Like, did he... Was he tired? Like he created, he was like, oh, this is like, I really outdid myself. Like, this is awesome. I deserve a break, right? Like, is that, is that, is that why he rested on the seventh day? No, he actually did it, not because he needed it. He did it because he realized that if he didn't show us how to do it, like if he didn't model it, we wouldn't. So that's the first reason why we are called to practice the Sabbath, because God did it. Like, what do you, like, what do you say, right, when, when you're like, oh God, I'm, I'm so busy, I, can, I, I, can't, I can't do a Sabbath this week, because I'm just, I'm so busy, I'm so important, I have so much stuff to do, and God's like, oh, uh, really? <laughs> like, I did everything in six days, the whole, like everything around you, and I rested on the Sabbath, and you, what do you, like, what are we saying to God when we, when we don't 
Right, so that's the first reason he modeled it. But here's the, here's the cool thing. The second reason for practicing the Sabbath is found in Deuteronomy 5.15. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath. I just, just consider that verse. Right? Our ancestors, the Israelites, went 400, when they were in slavery to Egypt and in Egypt, they went 400 years without practicing a Sabbath, without having a vacation in any which way. And when God rescued them from Egypt, one of the things he rescued them from was slavery. He rescued them from this constant output sort of life where there is no rest, where work is a badge of honor, overworking Bags under your eyes are a badge of honor. He rescued the, Egypt, the Israelites from that life. So when we fail to practice the Sabbath, we're actually saying, hey, you know what? I'd rather go back to Egypt. Like, I'd rather not rest because, yeah, like, that was fun. <laughs> That's what we're doing when we fail to practice the Sabbath. We're, we're, we're rejecting the freedom that he gave us. So when I think about Sabbath, I find that the best way to think about it is to think about playing. That Sabbath is playing. Like, have you ever played a game or a sport or, or done a puzzle or, or done something where you're just, you're so present in that game or in whatever that might be, you're shooting hoops, you're doing this, but like you're so present that you look at your watch and like, what, like four hours just went by? Because you're so present in that moment. Well, that's what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is a day where you get to do all the things that you want to do, not have to do. Now for us, uh, that means no cooking. Now I know some of you love cooking, like that gives you joy and, and it's great and that's playing for you. But for us, most often we're like, no, no cooking, no cleaning on Sabbath for us. We're gonna do the things that we want to do and not have to do, where we're enjoying God, we're enjoying one another, and we're enjoying the fruits that God has given us. So, so for us, what that looks like, uh, Friday is our Sabbath. Uh, I know uh, for many of you it might be Sunday today or, or it might be Saturday. Um, it's not for me because I'm working, uh, but Friday is Sabbath for us. And what that looks like is we don't set an alarm, we sleep in, because God has blessed us with sleep. Like I, it's the only day of the week that I can sleep in. And I sleep in, we sleep in, and then I will often work out in the morning. Christina and I will go out on a date to a coffee shop. We have so many great ones in our city. Uh, and then after that, we'll, we'll then hang out with our kids, we'll play a game, we'll do something together as a whole family, and, and then we'll often go out for dinner or order in, do a movie. I mean, it's, it's different all the time. And in the midst of all of that, I get to read books that nourish my soul, that deepen my walk with Jesus. I spend more time with Jesus than I would have otherwise in prayer and scripture reading and, and, and praying the scriptures and journaling. Now Sabbath is gonna look different for all of us. Maybe for you, Sabbath is hunting, right? Like it's just going away, unplugging from everything. Whatever that might look like for you, Sabbath is playing. So take a look at how Pete Scazzaro defines this. Sabbath is a 24-hour block of time. Not four hours, 24 hours, 
in which we stop work, enjoy rest, practice delight, and contemplate God. So, as we wrap up this uh, series, uh, knowing Jesus is greater than everything, I pray that we would recognize that our relationship with Jesus is more important than anything else in this world. And that our relationship, our friendship with Jesus truly does change everything. That he's not just our Lord, our Savior, our King of Kings, but he's actually our friend. And when Jesus sees you, when he sees me, he he sees us as friends. And when we see our relationship with Jesus as that of a friendship, and we, and we see that and we're like, yeah, so how do, we, how, do I, how do I be a good friend? How do I grow my friendship with others? And we apply that to our relationship with Jesus. Like, doesn't that change everything in terms of how we see him? That it's more about spending time with him than doing things for him? It's the freedom that we have as we follow Jesus. So let's pray uh, and we'll f- close our time together. Jesus, we thank you uh, that you have chosen us, you have called us friends. I pray right now for anyone here or online uh, who may not be your friend, may not see you as their friend. Lord, I pray that you would open their hearts and their minds their eyes to see you as a friend. That you would free them from the chains of religion. You would free them from the chains of the enemy and the blindness that the enemy put on them. That you would awaken them to yourself and help them recognize the freedom and the fullness and the joy and the meaning that we have when we follow you. Would you reawaken that in all of us as we pray and as we play and as we cultivate this friendship with you? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, if you um, at any point in this message were like, you know what, I think I'm more of an enemy than a friend, uh, if you wanna come to the front afterwards, we have prayer partners and we'd love to pray with you and talk to you about what it looks like to become a friend of Jesus. Okay, other than that, So great to be with you guys. Have a great week. Grace and peace. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening and thank you for giving. Your giving makes this podcast possible and helps us share this message with others. If today's message made you realize that you need to take your next step with Jesus, we'd love to help you with that. The easiest way to do that is by going to beulah.family on your browser. On that page, you'll find our social media links, links to upcoming events, and a link to give. And don't forget to subscribe and share this podcast. We'll see you soon.